With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Uh, we want to thank Iowa Sean again for uh, joining us on the last show. We also want to thank the majority of Hawkeye Nation for letting us know that their head coach's name is Ferenc and not Ferenc. Uh, uh, you know, duly noted. Uh, it's also, it's not honky, it's honkey. French-Romanian. <laughs> I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Uh, just kind of slogging through the long off season with you together. Let's, uh, let's keep our heads up. There's going to be good news coming. All right, I think there's lots of good news out there. Uh, year of Scott Frost has already begun. Uh, and back uh, after a short hiatus, Boomer. Sorry I was gone. Was uh, As was noted, I was in Des Moines, or is it Des Moines? I'm not sure if we got clarification on that. Uh, <laughs> I would say, you know, I would have been back sooner, but I was apparently banned from the podcast by some Hawkeye Nation members. So luckily we were found some loopholes and we're back now going live. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, all right. Well, it's good to have the whole crew on, and uh, we've got a, a, a relatively packed show. It feels like you know when you take an extra week off between shows, a lot of stuff happens, even in the off season. Um, for example, uh, roster changes are happening. It feels like right now on a on a daily basis. Uh, Honky, uh, I'm sure you've got a running list of players that are announcing that they're leaving the program or, or whatnot. What were the, the latest? Uh, let's see, it was Andrew Ward. Is that right? Yeah, over the last weekend, Andrew Ward and then Michael Decker announced that he's quitting football together. Oh, yeah. um, when you add that and combine that to Kean Williams, to Brian Brokop, who at least publicly on his, on his Twitter page has said he's a former player, P.O.B., Ben Miles, uh, that has gotten us down to 83 scholarships, and then we added a, an 84th with Noah Vedral uh, being yep. released officially from UCF. So now we're at 84. We have one to give, and that's just kind of a, an update of where we are in this offseason. On top of that, we're recording this on Monday night. This is May 21st, and something to be noted is that tomorrow, May 22nd, is when players start to report to campus. Uh, I It would not surprise any of us if there's another one or two players of attrition we're not going to guess who that is publicly but but um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one or two and we'll know that really by the end of this week probably by the end of this month because guys are either committed they're either going to be on campus here very shortly or they're not right and I think it's important too to kind of keep in mind Husker fans that roster changes are inevitable every program has them there's no even like a guy like Ward you look at his position a deep deep position it, it's fair for some of these guys to transfer and try to get some playing positions at, or playing time at other at other schools so um, nothing to really worry about this is kind of your normal offseason attrition that you'd see but it does give us a little freedom if there's that grad transfer that comes along so um, it's 
it's pretty much par for the course. What do you think Frost will do from a roster management standpoint um, if we do lose a, a few more and we're down to the low 80s? Are we backfilling that with a couple of of walk-ons right now to get back to 85? And are they seniors so those still come off the books and so we can have a really large regime uh, change class uh, here in 2019? Or is he giving it to a couple of well-deserving underclassmen that are walk-ons? Um, what do you think the approach will be? Yeah, I think uh, he, we're going to have 85 scholarships you know, next year that's the one thing to start off with uh and whether that there's a number of walk-ons that we've talked about here jacob weinmeister is an example of that now he's not a senior he's a junior hunter miller uh, at center i mean he was a i think a redshirt freshman so these are younger guys i don't see it being guys that we give a scholarship to for one semester if they're younger and then we're going to take it away so it's going to be earned it's going to be deserved if they give it to one of those younger guys but uh a Brian Reimers could be, you know, he's a, he's a local kid on offense. He, you know, he does fill a need as one of those big body receivers that we don't have a ton of. So mm-hmm. there, there are definitely is Reimers a senior. Yeah, Reimers is a senior, so he would be one of those okay. examples. Yeah. If there's a senior guy that would kind of be here for one year and and uh, and done, and and just having some of those positions, I, I'd like to see us at 81, 82 personally. I'd like to see the long snapper get a scholarship. You know, just to kind of keep up with Riley's. I'm just kidding, Red Casters. I can't say that. I, I think we still have one on scholarship, if I, if I recall. Jordan right, Ober but. is still, yeah, he's actually, uh, he started his, his freshman year under Riley. This He's already a senior. He's already got his, his in his fourth wow. year. Wow. Uh, but if, if we could give it to the, um, the, the vet who actually is starting to be a long snapper, that would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But, um, Anyway, I mean, I think it's interesting in the sense that I, I think you clearly want to have uh, enough scholarships available to have a, a pretty significant class, at least a full class of 25, I would guess, uh, next year. So, well, I don't and know. Well, you know that Mike I, I think Ross, did such a good job go for them at cornerback uh, last year. It's, noted, it's worth noting that he didn't get there until two weeks before this season started. You know, so they kind of saved that scholarship back for him. So, you, the staff will play around. I think you're right, Dave. They're going to fill it out, but... They are constantly looking to upgrade this roster. You're referring to Mike Hughes, UCF, yeah, right. a year ago. And so, yes, to your point, Mac, this staff has a history already just of what they've done at, at Central Florida of bringing guys in extremely late. Way if, late. If them. necessary. And, again, it's not about just adding bodies. It's if that person can be a, a contributor. And Mike Hughes, and I think that's a great example, That's a, that guy's a first-round NFL draft choice a couple months later. So, yeah, if there's a that's late amazing. guy like that. Wow. You know, if there's yeah, no like, kidding. yeah, that's crazy. Comes if there's in players two weeks like before, that, Mrs. Camp, Mrs. Like Spring Ball comes in and starts. Now that's prop. That's a awfully like an outlier, but the point is, that's how the, that's how the staff kind of operates. They they are always kind of looking to upgrade everything to push the button as far as they or the the envelope as far as they can with it. So it'd be interesting to see if they do leave them themselves that much leeway and how late they do. If we don't fill out that roster right away again, I kind of look at it like the, the people transferring mid year. It's, it's just kind of, I think getting used to this coach's philosophy. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave and Boomer, one of the guys that is on scholarship here that, and what we've learned the last couple of weeks is Maurice Washington. And he's a guy that's going to be here, but it looks like on academic scholarship. And I'm kind of curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. 
how that relates to kind of the old Prop 48 rule and what, you know, what you're thinking. I'll start with you, Dave. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So to clarify, so Maurice Washington won't be here next week. We do have a lot of guys here next week, right? But Maurice Washington will be here in August, likely, right? Correct. That's my understanding. Correct. And and the story is that he will have an academic redshirt, which is – and Boomer, you can fill in all the, the background here a little bit. But this is something they, they brought back, actually, I think, passed through NCAA legislation maybe five, six years ago. Just took uh, effect in 2016 correct. because they had to, like, ramp things up, right? Does correct. that sound right, yes. Boomer? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I'm, I'm really – it does sound a lot like Prop 48, uh, the partial qualifiers that we had in the 80s and 90s. So, so many of those guys. And Honky, you could run down the list of, of Prop 48 guys in the 90s that ended up contributing to those those first two national championship teams. I mean, it's you, you probably run out of fingers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that uh, uh, you know notoriously went away when we went to the Big 12, and the Big 12 didn't want to um, allow Prop 48. And then ultimately, it just went away in the NCAA entirely. I don't know when that exactly happened. Um, this sounds a lot like Prop 48 in the sense that you can fail to meet the NCA standard for for eligibility eligibility uh, in your initial year, uh, but you can be on campus, you can practice, you just can't play, and if you then become eligible uh, during the course of your freshman year, you're eligible after that. And it's a red shirt, so you have four years to play, which is actually better than what Prop 48 was uh, back in the 80s and, and 90s. Um, so I don't see what the downfall of this is, and I, I'm curious if we know if other programs have been using this, and Mike Riley just chose, just like he chose not to re- recruit JUCOs for some reason we can't quite figure out, um, he chose not to pursue this with, with some previous Nebraska recruits. Yeah, perfect example. Boomer, you have thoughts? Blades kid we got last year. Oh, I'm sorry, Boomer. Oh, yeah. No, no look, go, go, Mac. That's exactly where I wanted to go with was Elijah Blades was an academic casualty, right? And he, right, he's exactly. Went to JUCO, and now he's getting scholarship offers to FBS programs again. Um, but seems like he probably could have qualified under this, and we could have could have had him on campus, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean the, the way the rules work on this is, you know, in order to be a, you know be a full qualifier, there's uh, 16 core courses you have to complete, and I believe you have to have 10 of those done by your senior year in high school, and that kind of keeps the, you know, somehow the magic of you know seniors somehow cramming seven core classes into their last semester in high school and magically passing all of those. You know, I think <laughs> that's what they're setting up to try to prevent here. And I believe you have to have a 2.3 GPA to be a full qualifier. Now, where the uh, academic redshirt comes in is you still have to complete those core courses, and if your GPA has to be at least a 2.0. So, you know, it's possible. I don't know what Blades' GPA was. I mean, if it was below 2.0 or he didn't have all those core courses completed, then he couldn't have even been brought on as an academic redshirt. So without, you know, knowing how that turned out, I don't know, you know, if he was even an option. And, you know, I don't know how much leeway there is for programs and schools to take huge advantage of this. You know, roster sizes probably aren't nearly what they were back in the 80s when you could take a lot more chances on players like this. And if they didn't pan out well, that's fine. I still got, you know, 150 other kids on on the roster that will make up for it. Now, you know, you're bringing these guys on. They count against your scholarship limits. And, you know, if they don't make grades, then 
you know, that's a that's a hit to you right there. So I think that's probably why there's some hesitation to take a few of these players. But sure, I yeah. understand. I'll, maybe I'll throw this back to Honky just in the context of I think Nebraska and, and our fan base understands this. We have uh, some really good uh, academic assistance for these players, right? I mean, we have the some of the best. Uh, tutors and that program to actually help Maurice Washington and maybe other programs don't have such a uh, high level of confidence that they are going to be able to get these kids the help they need to to get the study habits in place and all those type of things to actually get that GPA where it needs to be their freshman year. I, I'm not personally too worried that we don't think Mo, Maurice Washington can can get this done when he's on campus and by having him here no one else can poach him if he's over at some JUCO. Um, yeah. Honky? You know, I think one of the things that Frost talked about was that once we commit to a player, we commit to him. Whether, in this case, whether he makes that grade or not, we're committed to him the second that that, that, that offer goes out and they commit to us. Uh, that can be a little bit different from a year ago, the example of Blades, because I know there were some external things that even went beyond grades there. Different coaching staff, different philosophies, all that. But certainly they want to get a kid like Washington onto campus. And to your point there, Dave, too, the, the, the resources that we have here, whether it's life skills or if it's just, you know, what they've, what they've traditionally done in the, in the academic support side. And some of these kids that we're recruiting, some of them come from all different areas, different backgrounds, different, you know, different levels of, you know, the school systems that they come from. You can just na- – there's a whole lot of variables that play into it. And so some of these kids I – mean, we talk about it on the strength side. Some of these kids – get here and they start eating right for the first time and they start lifting right for the first time. Well, some of these academically, they're starting to really get taught and tutored and, you know, for the first time, you know, correctly. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I think that's a, a big piece of this too. And so we're, we're committing to the kid and he's going to take up a scholarship. I mean, that's one thing about this, you know, you're essentially going into the season with 84 scholarships because of him, but you're willing to, to put up with that lack of one scholarship because of what you think the long-term gain will be. Yeah, and Washington's interesting for for a couple different reasons, and I do think it's important to note, you know, I, I know people look at this, the Prop 48 or this academic redshirt, and kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, let's get the player in here so he can have a good football team, but he missed significant amount of time of school his junior year due to family issues. It wasn't, it's not a lack of intelligence, you know, it was just kind of a, kind of a kid who lost his way for a while, so, and, you know, instead of this, this this kind of program or this kind of loophole or whatever you want to call it being looked at with disdain. I mean, you can honestly look at it like, well, we get to get this kid in our program to Dave's point, put him in our life skills program, get him the, the skills necessary to be successful in life. And at the same time, you almost act as your own JUCO. You get a full year in our system. You get a full year in our nutrition program. You get a full year in our, our weight program. And you don't have to worry about other teams coming to poach you. You get better. You get the opportunity without any pressure playing to actually get your college life on track. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's a phenomenal program. And it just so happens that, you know, we're getting a great player out of it too. But he gets something out of it as well. So, to me, it's a, it's a win-win for all of them. And let's be honest, if, if Maurice Washington is a full qualifier, that's a hard kid to get on our campus. He was sought after, you know. And I sure. think that – that that program there and the fact that somebody had a plan for him, like somebody actually said, here's what we can do, Maurice. Here's how we can help you really makes a difference. And that will, you know, going forward again, Dave, like what you were saying with our life skills department, this might be an area that Nebraska can. I don't, I don't want to say the word exploit, but maybe utilize a little bit and help some kids that would normally maybe not make it there for whatever reasons, you know, become part of a program. I'd love to see it. Well, yeah, you have to take, um, 
um, advantage of your resources, right? And if, if we have those programs better than, than other schools and we can take one kid a year like that, I mean, we redshirt kids all the time. So, I mean, to say that we're losing a scholarship or, you know, for a year because he can't play, well, there's a bunch of kids that aren't going to sure. play their freshman year. And Adam Taylor was got, on the um, team for quite a few years and never played, you know? Like, we got them all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's my, right. We've, we've obviously, got, my point is that there's not even yeah. the option of playing, but but yeah. it's worth the it's worth it for a number of reasons. He's an athletic kid. Obviously, we think there's a lot of upside, but also – Honestly, for the kid himself, I mean, this is this is a legitimate opportunity for someone to to be able to better their situation. He has to get his academics in order. I mean, none of this it doesn't matter. All it's a whole moot point what a- athletically he can do for us if he doesn't do the academic side. But this gets a kid like that on, started on the right foot, and I don't think there's a better program in the country academically to do that with than than what we have down there at at, at West Stadium with with everything they have on the academic side and the life skill side. Yeah, yeah I don't care I, what I you go right. college you go to. You're not going to be better prepared than if you were at the program you're at redshirting. You know what I mean? It, he'll he'll yeah. benefit so greatly yeah. from that. You know, speaking of uh, you know recruiting and, and different philosophy, et cetera, I think several articles were out there this week. It's, and uh, one of them was with Mario Vadusco and talking about how you know, it, it's so easy to – to recruit as the Nebraska quarterbacks coach, and and uh, you know I, he he opens up by saying you know hey he's working for Scott Frost and all those type of things. I think it was interesting. Also talking about like the 2019 targets we have for QB might be generally considered a little bit more developmental uh, than the the POB or or, or Jebius, um, and uh, just how this offense might you know a little better suited for those type of players that can grow into this offense opposed to having the um, the perfect mechanics and everything from day one and, and that Verdusco really specializes in, in coaching those type of guys. Mac, Honky, any thoughts on that? Yeah, they, this coaching staff is, is supremely confident in their ability to kind of train their quarterbacks to what they need to do. And I think when you have a situation like we do at quarterback right now where we basically have two freshmen competing for starting jobs going into the fall, um, it's going to be really hard to lure in another, say, five-star or top four-star who's really interested in playing. So you you take a chance with a developmental guy whose maybe athleticism is kind of off the charts and needs a little refining in the passing game, you know, say Martinez gets the start, we redshirt this guy, that gives him like two years of development before he's ever really going to be thrust in any kind of playing position. And then behind that guy, maybe you recruit your stud or whatever like that. But, you know, it's so hard to keep high-level quarterbacks or highly thought-of level quarterbacks on a on a roster. I mean, Clemson's already got, I yeah. think, a five-star and a four-star looking to transfer. So it's nothing new, you know. But, I mean, the, the way it looks right now with the, with the youth we have at the position, it makes the most sense, I think, in terms of, of continuity in the room or just kind of keeping everybody happy uh, with just trying to take somebody who's got a lot of potential and now you have some time to work with them because these guys all get reps. I mean, that spring game, you look at it, they had four quarterbacks ready to go for the most part in that game, and that's pretty impressive with the time they had. So there's they, there's a reason they're they're confident about it. So I, it's, it's a good – I think he's right. I think we're in a good position there. Yeah. Honky, another good article on Frost came from Sam McEwen um, on 
about uh, Frost's pitch about uh, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other <laughs> side, talking about his experiences of going to Stanford and coming back to Nebraska. What would you think of that one? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a, a better person in the country to, to be able to give that pitch for Nebraska than a, a former what would be considered five-star Certainly. player. You know, they weren't they weren't giving stars out back in the early 90s, but I remember Mac and I, we would always go and get the, the preseason magazines in Athlon. If I remember correctly, Athlon had Scott Frost number seven in the country. It was high. On the top 100 list of recruits. Wow. And Frost was number seven going to Stanford. Was so, that Ron Paulus's year? Uh, Paulus, I think, was like a year okay. after that. Right. But um, but uh, Frost, you know, he, he so he's the five-star guy. He could go to anywhere, right? And And – and for all the right reasons, goes to Stanford. I mean, if you're not going to play for a, a legend like Tom Osborne, at least you're going to go play for a legend like Bill Walsh because you want to be a pro football quarterback. And, gee, Walsh kind of had a little bit of a history of being able to, to send guys there and have some success. So it made sense. Two Super Bowl rings. Made sense. Good. But then again, two years later when, when he leaves Stanford and we're playing for national titles, it also makes sense that, that you can come back. And, and he did come back, right? Well – that's where I think Frost has that perspective of, of both sides of the of the, 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 the table there. I mean, he's he's left, he's come back, he's seen what other places has, he knows what we have here, and he talks about fit and, and making sure that guys are the right fit here. Obviously, there's a couple players right now at Burke, who Omaha Burke, who just last week got offers to LSU. And if you're getting offers from LSU, you'll get offers from virtually any, any school in the country. So they can go anywhere in the country. It, it starts to become... A, a level of fit there, and I don't know those two players at all personally, so I can't sit here and say if Nebraska is the right fit for them or not. But I think Frost certainly is somebody that can be, you know, someone that can be a mentor to them, somebody that they can look up to and that they can trust what he's saying. It may be that they end up coming here, they may end up going somewhere else, but but I think that that he can he can empathize with them, he can relate to them, he can be in their shoes, and he can say this is what you know this is the, the kind of decisions I ended up making. These are the thought processes I went through, and. And hopefully they end up going to the right fit. Hopefully it's in you for our sakes. And long term, you know, if they're building this relationship, maybe he's telling them you could come back too. I mean, you know, if you if you don't burn bridges, you know, and those guys go there and, it's, and the grass isn't greener, sure. you know, come back. Um, sure. It, those yeah, those I mean, two fit, those particular cases, is, those Burke boys are going to be interesting because those, I think it's pretty well documented. Neither of those kids are like Nebraska born and raised, you know. I think one's got a Texas connection, the other one's got an Iowa connection or something along those lines. That's right. And let's face it, the time that they would have been young and influenced by what the Huskers were, we were mostly awful. So there's no there's no reason to think they'd be these super fans. You know, if, 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 yeah. I, if I, no, I raised I mean, my kid not. in Iowa, he wouldn't be an Iowa Hawkeye fan, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're not typical in-state recruits in that sense, right? They don't have the... The connections, um, you know, speaking of fit, uh, you know, I mean, being in a, a program like Nebraska or, or any major power five program, you know, it's a, it's a year round commitment, uh, really, you know, 365 days out of the year. A uh, hockey, didn't we get a, a mailbag question talking about, um, kind of off season scheduling and all the, the nuances of that? Yeah, one of our uh, Twitter followers uh, goes by politics and football, which is about all we get on our feed. Seems like a good way to start a fight. That's right. <laughs> but, no, he had a couple of good <laughs> questions. Just He said he's just kind of learning about the, re- the recruiting cycle in general. Had some, And then, aside from recruiting, had some other just off-season kind of questions about what can 
you know, the players do without coaches and what does an off season look like and kind of want some of that broke down. And so, uh, you know, I, I actually responded to him. He even sent him a link to uh, the NCA calendar. But in the process of looking at that, there, there are a couple of what's called evaluation periods during the, uh, during this year. So if you look at from August 1st, 2017 to the period that ends July 31st of this year, this recruiting cycle, there are two evaluation periods. One of them went from September 1st to November 25th last year. We're in the, in the middle of the second one, or towards the end of it, actually, that went from April 15th to May 31st. So there's two evaluation periods. There's 168 evaluation days during those periods, which uh, do not include Sundays or Memorial Day. And that's when authorized off-campus recruiters, they can use an evaluation to assess prospective student-athletes, specifically their academic qualifications during this period. So when you hear about, and think about it this way, when you hear about that there's this great athlete out there and then some team's cool on him and it's because of, you know, academic purposes or they don't know if he's going to qualify, a lot of that's going on during these evaluation periods. Now, What's unique, and I'm not saying anything new here, but what's unique in this this last year and what it moves forward into next year too is now we have these two signing times in December, in early February. And so all throughout the, the year, littered throughout, there's different times where you have, you know, contact periods, dead periods, and, and so on. Um, where this kind of plays a role in Nebraska right now, and this is year one of Frost, is that we just had some players this last weekend come in from Kansas. They took unofficial visits. And I think that's so smart on, on Frost's part right now is that they're not using up. And they're, they're still, I think, I think they're still tied into yeah, official visits from last year. It hasn't it's, refreshed yet. It hasn't refreshed yet. But even if it had, who, who cares if it did or didn't? The, the mentality that Frost has going forward is that we want kids here for official visits during the season. We want them in front of the Sea of Red. And – I can't overstate that because for fans that maybe are frustrated that, hey, we only have five recruits right now or six recruits, where in the past we had 12 or 14 at this point. First off, who cares? When we had 14, half of them were going to decommit before, before the time they signed anyway. So don't even worry about that. What, what we want right now is we want kids coming here, building those, building those relationships. Then when they get to the, to the actual season, they'll use those official visits, get here and watch games. Where I see Frost maybe having to adjust, and maybe he won't have to, but but maybe after a couple of years he might have to adjust certain things. With with uh, it, it might be hard to get every kid here during the year because some of the kids you're trying to pull are from across the country, and they've got a Friday night football game, and they just can't make it here on Saturdays. I don't know yet. I mean, this is something that we're just gonna have to kind of do a wait and see thing. When he was at UCF, obviously most of his he could wait till season to do official visits because those guys were all within you know 200 miles but you know what that's something that I, I trust this guy that they will evaluate that and if they find that they're running into too many issues with that maybe they'll use the spring game more in future years to bring in official visits but for right now their plans are let's use unofficials as early as possible let's keep getting kids in like they just did this last weekend they'll continue to do it they'll continue to do it throughout the camp season and, and friday night lights and then when they hit season time officials Official visits start going out, and, and they want Husker Nation showing up. Yeah, I think they want to be about as efficient as they can. That's what the staff kind of – if they had one dominant characteristic, man, it seems to be efficiency. They are all over it. So I think this will kind of be – this could be very much be, I don't know if you're calling it year one or year two recruiting because they're already in the second class that they've recruited. But, you know, this can be kind of their fast-forward mode. And I think 
they are putting a heavy in- emphasis on on the game day atmosphere and getting kids here early. And the other thing I've always had a problem with it: you you take your spring game visit as your official. That is a long time between then and signing day, or even at the early signing day. And it's not like those guys. Well, they they said they were coming, so we don't have to keep recruiting those guys. You have to keep recruiting those well, guys. Well, we got Buki yeah, at, at spring game. One guy that Riley had. Riley actually had <laughs> one guy commit to him three times and still not come here. That's <laughs> insane. So right. I don't think this staff is interested in playing those kind of games uh, with their recruits. Now, time will tell if that's going to be the right philosophy, and I, I do think they'll they'll of they'll have to shift it at some point. Just because that, I do think the spring game does provide one bit of. It shows how Nebraska fans are different more than any game day experience might. That the spring game it definitely is a standout, but that can be that could be an unofficial day. You know, even, you know we're in the middle of camp season now too, and and I and I feel like this is one of those areas that they need probably need a little tweaking going forward because the way this staff is kind of scattershot amongst these different camps, I don't know if it's ideal or I don't know if maybe they don't put a lot of focus on those camps right now. It's hard to say. Year one, you know, there's so much install, there's so much player development, there's so much team evaluation going on. I imagine that. You know they're not getting the focus on it that maybe they would like. Yeah, I think just in general, you want you want recruits to stay here longer than Bob Welton, and that's you know I think that's probably essentially <laughs> the you know the the, the long term goal. So hey, when you lose somebody to Alabama and you lose them to Nick Saban, uh, you know I'm sure Scott Frost can can fire back. I think uh, Frost doesn't seem to back down to anybody. He seemed to have been taking a few shots at Nick uh, lately, so that's, that's okay. Right. Yeah, between the SEC, right, guys. Tennessee, and, and Alabama, man, we're getting at those guys a little bit. Absolutely. Scarlet colored glasses. And next on the Go Big Red Cast, let's put on our scarlet colored glasses and talk about all things Husker football. And uh, maybe actually over our first topic, um, even a, a wider conversation. Uh, big news came out of the Supreme Court last week, uh, known as SCOTUS to some people, uh, that legalized gambling is probably going to be spreading across these great United States. Uh, They ruled in favor of the state of New Jersey, who had been trying to get legalized sports betting uh, at their casino, similar to Las Vegas. Uh, Other states have already had legislation in in the pipeline or already approved such things if um, uh, this ruling... Uh, would go in the favor of New Jersey. And so we could be seeing a, a lot of activity on this over the next several years. Honky, you jumped on this right away and got a Twitter poll out. Uh, what's that telling us? Well, there's three Columbus SCOTUS guys on this uh, on this show. Ah, that I oh, think that's are, right. Oh, you, do you guys sit oh. on the SCOTUS then? I'm, I'm, I didn't. We all sit on SCOTUS, yes. Um, <laughs> do you think that, yeah, the Twitter poll that we sent out there with uh, 300 uh, votes, thank you, Redcasters, is that do you think Nebraska should legalize sports gambling? And 74% said yes, 26% said no. Now, I realize that's a very simplified question. There's a lot of details that have to be discussed. It's not just as easy as... It's nuanced. Yeah, it's not just as easy as yes or no. But at least just on the surface, certainly a a three to, you know, or whatever that fraction is, three to one, whatever. Uh, you know, that the people that are following us, they, they believe in this. So, Boomer, you've been doing some research on this. You've been you've talked about this in the past. What are your thoughts on, on the legalizing of sports gambling? 
Well, I mean, it was clearly inevitable, I think. I know <clears throat> sports and politics, of course, are the favorite things on the Internet and uh, all this podcast as well. So politically, <laughs> you know, this was inevitable. Uh, just the law itself, the way it was, didn't make a whole lot of sense. How they could carve out a niche for Nevada and all the other states couldn't do this. So That's that was going to be an inevitable overturn or ruling by, by SCOTUS at that point. So now that genie's out of the bottle, now every state has to decide what it wants to do. Nebraska being Nebraska, you know, we'd hate to gamble with the good life, but make sure you buy your lotto and Kino tickets and uh, let's try to resurrect horse racing. They're certainly going to try to, at, le at least Ricketts has said he's not going to push for any of this currently on his watch. Uh, Iowa anticipate will probably move on this fairly quickly because despite, you know, Nebraska's claims we dislike gambling, there's an awful lot of Nebraska cars over in the casino lots every time I've, I've been over in that area. So Let's talk about that a little bit, Boomer. Uh, from a state perspective, so Nebraska is perceived as a very conservative state in regards to gambling. Correct. Um, are there other, I mean, is there half the states similar to Nebraska, or are we in the minority now on this? More of them like Iowa, which allows uh, casinos of various types in, in different locations. Well, I mean, you just look at the states that name are Nebraska, how many of us have you know, legalized casinos uh, to at least some degree or another, whether it's, you know, on, you know, riverboat type things or situations sure. like that, or even, uh, Colorado you know, has yeah, them. Colorado out has them. It, yeah. yeah. Iowa, Kansas, South Dakota. I mean, they all do. So at least in the vicinity or what would be convenient for most Husker fans or most of our, uh, you know, local listeners to the podcast, we're clearly the outlier in, in the geographic yeah. area. I mean, we're the only state that really doesn't have such a thing. Mm -hmm. And now in Las Vegas, and maybe I'll throw this to Honky and Mac. We've all been to Las Vegas and, and been to the sports books. Those are actually in casinos, so you can't just like randomly walk into a, a you know, Seven Eleven and, and lay down a bet. Correct. Even though that's the case actually in, in like in Europe, there's sports books just on the corner store, or like you can just like go uh, far more frequent and easy access. I mean, would you expect that? Let's say, if, let's hypothetically say Iowa moves ahead right away and. You can go across a river and gamble. Do you feel like it's just going to be high, uh, isolated to those uh, casinos? I that's what I would anticipate the thing would be, and uh, you know, and that's the my bachelor party. We were in Vegas. Most of you guys were there for that, and we that was during March Madness, and we went to the sports books. And you're right, you can't just go into like the local Seven Eleven and do it. And so, if it has to be at a casino, well, ninety percent of Nebraskans live, live within seventy five miles of a casino, because shockingly. Um, whether it's up by Shadron or if it's in Sioux City or if it's you know, in Council Bluffs or near Topeka, it's shocking how they put all these casinos right near the border and, and we end up having all these Nebraska cars there. Mm. Um, the gambling with the good life thing, it's it, there's a, a bit of hypocrisy in the sense that we were one of the first states to adapt horse racing. I think it was 1934 that we became one of the very first states to legalize horse racing, but really nothing's changed since then in state. That's not me saying I'm not throwing support at it. And I'm not taking support away. I'm just simply stating the facts that we have a lot of people right now currently going across the, the borders to, to do this. We we have all the, the 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 same issues that come with having gambling without any of the benefits. So yeah, um, I find it I would find it very funny if Nebraska would tie legalized sports betting to horse tracks because Columbus. Our, our hometown has one of the last horse tracks, uh, you know, horse racing in the state with Foner Park 
in Columbus. The only two that have a full schedule, I believe. Correct. It'd be hilarious if Columbus suddenly becomes a hotbed of legalized sports. <laughs> and dollar fifty bush lights on Fridays. Holla! Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Egg Park, Park is just Duke. like packed with people from, you know, Columbus is booming because Shining of the neon sports everywhere. Gambling. It'd be yeah, it'd be. Yes, I don't hold, sleep on so. Columbus, yeah. yeah. No, but that is one of those things you talk, I mean, as much as we try to push resurrecting or saving horse racing in so many ways here, whether it's, you know, paramutual betting or broadcasting historic horse racing, that comes up all the time. Yeah. You're trying to come up with all these convoluted ways to save horse racing. This would do a, it. This would, yeah. If you want to save your horse tracks, this will do it. You'll get people there. They'll be there spending money here. It stays in the States. Yeah, there's there plenty of down down sporting days where there's not a lot going on nationally. So if you, yeah. and you if the horses are running, they're like, oh, I'll go go put that down, whatever. Yeah, like the stretch uh, of summer right now. I mean, NBA and hockey is going to carry on for another eight months for their playoffs or whatever it is this year. But <laughs> the games themselves are few and far between. And baseballs, you know, unless you're Pete Rose, isn't a huge gambling sport. But uh, other than that, it'd be a good time to get a few people there to the track and. Yeah. Make their money in their off hours, too. So let's take this a different direction uh, just a little bit, unless you guys are dying to, to talk more on, on that. Let, let's talk a little bit about what this could mean to... The pro leagues obviously have an interest here, and NBA has, has been out front on this saying, hey, if this is going to happen, we should get a 1% cut of everything because we need to be able to, to regulate and, and make sure that there's an integrity you know, you know, that's preserved in our game. And the other sports leagues are now, you know, talking about that or saying how the feds need to step in, et cetera. But they're all, all could make gob loads of money on this. Um, and in that case, so could the NCAA or individual conferences, or I, I don't know how this could play out, but uh, it's a tricky slope here, but it could be another revenue stream for all of this, right? Yes. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, the integrity aspect of it with pro leagues just kind of makes me chuckle every time I hear that, but, uh, you I know, agree, that's, that's a different Michael, podcast. I I just said that to yeah. Honky, I'm like, that's hilarious, considering those referees all got in trouble for fixing games. Exactly, that yeah, so that's, yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. so that's I a mean, totally different story there. You know, the NCAA into this, you know, they're gonna, they'd have a harder time trying to, you know, parlay some money out of this. Well, well, let me throw something you know. out out there for you, Boomer. What if they parlay whatever cut they would get from these bets and say that that money could go to the the student athletes across the board, right? And and and, and you know that however you'd want to pay them, quote unquote, and put them in a different trust fund. That would be a, what if. Yeah, that, that, that's that, your solution. That's your 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 funding source because right now you're saying you can't do that for football and basketball because then you'd have to fund everyone else. But suddenly, if that was your source of money, you could you could fund all these uh, scholarships. Yeah, that'd be that's certainly a potential option there. But in we know the NCAA is all about the student athletes, so I'm sure they'll be you know leaping to that opportunity. Again, I think you'd still run into that difficulty of them, you know, they're still going to try to maintain this whole, you know, we're above the whole gambling end of this, and there'd be a lot of pushback from schools, you know, I think our school would be one of them that would push back, at least for a while, you know, as long as some of the older coaching staff and, you know, people are still around, you know, they're certainly not going to offer any support to this, so... It's going to be one of those generational things, I think. You know, well, the proposal, more likely, I like that idea. 
but the more likely source of revenue then and, and uh, hockey and max just jump in here if if you still have something to say on that but a, a more likely revenue source for college sports is actually the the tv contracts or whatever the the future of of watching college sports online etc because it you would be reasonable to assume that the advertising and uh, the ratings, if people are gambling, are going to go up, actually. And so uh, people have been talking about the sports bubble and how people are turning off of ESPN and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that could dry up these revenue streams for the Big Ten Network and other conferences. And suddenly you have um, viewers watching longer and more sporting events and all these different things because they now have money on the line. And suddenly, it's not only a live sporting event, it's a live sporting event that you legally have cash on. Right now, so many people already do this anyway, but now it's 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 not not in the shadows that it, it can actually bump up TV revenue uh, even higher than it is today. Yeah, I think there would be potential for that. You might have to kind of retool your shows a little bit, you know, rather than just having all the, you know, human interest stories and all that kind of stuff. You'd see a lot more shows focusing on the... You know, here's injuries, here's things like that, here's, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff we're hearing about each team, here's how they play in these conditions, all that kind of stuff. It might be a lot more technical, kind of like that. Yeah. ESPN's been showing lines for the last couple of years. Yeah, they have, uh, you know, more like fantasy football shows that you see where they yeah, break they down all these players all and stuff. things they like that. Yeah, they do it. that, so, exactly. So I think two, yeah, the shows would look different. The the example I was going to... Yeah. Yeah, the example I was going to use was was the NFL. Are their numbers higher right now than they were five or ten years ago as fantasy football has increased? Because ideally, using that as an example, more people should be watching the games because there is more interest in something that's going on outside of the game itself. And and as an example, I I have watched less and less NFL over the years from a from a interest in a team. Hell, I'm a Houston Oilers fan, so that shows everything you need to know right there but <laughs> but you know they got a good I chance have, this next year though I, I feel good about it yeah but over the last couple of years i've started to get a little bit more into fantasy football and i end up watching some random you know tennessee titans jets game i never would have watched just because i you know i want that that one running back to get a touchdown right so i don't know if if there isn't data showing that the nfl is getting a lot more viewers watching it because of that I don't know that that it's going to necessarily do the same thing in in college football. To your point, Dave, with trying to make sure that we have these contracts that you know actually come to fruition. I will say this, and this has come out in the last week or two since this has become part of the discussion. Uh, Coach Osborne, and it's Burn, not Born. Since we're getting things correct with the uh, Ferrance, it's it's Osborne. I've been saying it wrong uh, for for a while, but he's not in favor of it, and I don't think that's going to be a shock to people, but. He talked about it from the the perspective of as a coach, you know, you have, you know, it's just one more thing to throw on coaches that, you know, now, you know, Frost, we we were winning a game by 25 points and he puts the backups in and and the spread's 28. Now you've got fans getting on you for one other thing. And I think that's an important perspective to keep in this is that there is that human element of it. It's the 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 coaches element of it. Uh, Osborne on a number of occasions brought up examples when he was coaching and people would be upset at him even though we won the game as if as if we don't have enough things to worry about as coaches that you know, now you have to win the right way um i i can see where there's there is pushback 
there. And and there's probably you know, I don't and I don't know from an amateurism amateurism versus professional sports thing, do you treat it differently? I, I don't know. I mean that's it's a it's so at least something Jersey, to be looked at. What, New Jersey, they're limiting you can not gamble on Rutgers football. Um or gamble on Rutgers football. He's bet him to lose <laughs> every game and my god, he'd clean house. I mean Is that a joke? No, Dave, really if you look serious? into it I, I'm being dead serious. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. Yeah uh, yeah. Rutger, I mean Princeton probably falls into this too. Any state school, I believe, okay. or an opponent like they're playing. I, I think any home Rutgers game or uh, uh, something like that. I mean they are limiting that in New Jersey, right? You don't want to like so they want to have some sort of separation. So I mean, fortunately, if if legalized sports betting doesn't happen in Nebraska ever, you don't have to worry about that in state. But across the the, the state lines, uh, Nebraska could be a hot ticket item. I don't know. That's intriguing stuff. Well, that, that screws every uh, parlay I have because Rutgers would be the losing end of every parlay, at least somewhere in it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I will have this going soon enough, so you can go to the boats and, you know, put some money down there and you'll be fine. Oh, very good. Does that mean yeah, we won't be yeah. able to bet on Hawkeye games? I'll, hmm. I'll throw one more aspect in on here, which is different, in the sense that we, we've clearly tied this uh, idea of legalized sports betting to a physical place. You have to go to a casino to place it but technology is evolving here even at, in in casinos you now have apps where you can place your bet right on your mobile phone um and and other other things so um you, you may be able to place a bet away from a casino at this point but you still have to collect your money there or something like that right uh so the the online mobile application type thing is a whole nother aspect of this which would open it up to an even larger um, portion of the public. That's interesting. I mean, I live down in Roca, and I have Verizon, so that kind of eliminates my ability to do online gambling. Uh, <laughs> but I, I get Verizon's your, looking out for your your best interests. <laughs> but so. I get your yeah. That's probably true. Verizon's trying to save me money. I appreciate that. And uh, but no, I I, I think that's, that's a, good a valid life. point there, Dave. Uh, all right. Well. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to other scarlet-colored classic uh, glasses topics. Uh, Honky, I think mailbag-wise, we had one one more. Uh, yeah, we had one from uh, Hus- Husker Domus, and uh, he asked, uh, "What is the difference between Eric Shenander's three-four defense and Bob Diaco's three-four? And you know, there's we can get very intricate into the details of it. I think at an overview, I can say one works and the other doesn't. Yeah." And yeah, well, I think Minnesota gets, just scored again on Diaco's defense. So, one gets yeah. progressively worse as the season goes on. One generates turnovers. <laughs> one plays a 4-3 in the spring game, and the other one plays. Which one shows you the strain, the though, year. Mac? Yeah. yeah, yeah. one brings the pain, the other brings the strain. Yeah, we know that. Um, <laughs> I, I will definitely say, at the, at the very basis of it, when you look at Diaco's defense, it, it is – by nature, it's read and react. It's lay back. It's it, even when they have all the players. It if you watch, bend, don't break. If you watch yeah. Notre Dame at their best, it, there's a lot of bend but don't break. But it was about recruiting the right players and de- and developing those guys in the third and fourth year guys. And if you look at that Notre Dame defense that went to the national title game, I mean, there was a lot of guys that were built for that system. Two hundred and eighty-five pound right. defensive ends, and I mean, the, all the linebackers were, you know, two hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, they just they were built right, and they, they, they did well. And he's made a lot 
he's taken that one season and he's made a heck of a career off of it. Um, you'll notice a difference with Shenander. You'll notice right away. It is it is aggressive and and you have to take the good and the bad with that. And as Husker fans, we have to we have to be willing to be patient. I, I'll use that word, and we also have to be willing to put up with the fact that we want aggressiveness. We've said it for years. Get those you know corners up on those receivers. Yeah. Get up and and let's blitz. That's awesome. I'm all for it. Then you also have to take the and accept every once in a while that you might have a a big play. You might you might give up something, but you're going to get something in return. Against Auburn, they had a sack on the first play of the game. One of five sacks, multiple interceptions. Mac, you mentioned it last week with some of the stats on. Yeah. Uh, on some third, of the third in the nation in, in, in defensive turnovers and third in the third, nation, third in the nation in total turnovers, third in the nation in interceptions. Yeah, and so it's you know it, you take the good and the bad with it. Uh, they gave up a few points at the end of last season, and Dave, we were talking about this on the last Redcast at, at the end of the season. That's right, of course, as Frost's name was was being you know thrown about as coming to Nebraska. So Husker fans started watching UCF really late, and they saw them play against. Uh, South Florida, and they saw them play against Memphis. And those are two teams, let's first give them credit. They were ranked teams that had pretty powerful offenses. And so they scored a lot of points, and that scared the heck out of Husker fans. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, what are we bringing in here? Let's also take a moment to step back and say, due to a hurricane that they had, they played, like, I think it was 11 straight games, 11 straight weekends. By the time the the very end of the season, they're playing the best offenses they're going to play, and they're playing them at the end. But – but they still were getting turnovers. They still were, were, were getting sacks. And then when they had a chance to finally catch a breath and they played against Auburn, I think they did pretty well. They, they, they defensive, put, yeah, they had pressure it, in the backfield the whole time. INT for a yeah. touchdown. I mean, I mean that Diaco's was, defense, here's, the funny thing about Diaco's defense is it was the bend don't break. You know, we're not, we're not allowing touchdowns and we're not allowing big plays. And yet it simultaneously allowed both. So – <laughs> to see an aggressive defense that occasionally gets gashed, I can live with that, you know, because if we're flying to the ball and, and, and guys are tackling to leverage, you know, just kind of forcing guys back in and, and we see guys hitting hard, um, the way the way this team works, uh, that'll, that'll, that'll be fine over time, you know, because we're going to be scoring, the idea is score a ton of points on offense, and this defense's number one philosophy is get the ball back. That is their... That is their identity. They want the ball back. We're going to be aggressive and trying to get the ball back. Now that's either three and out or we get a turnover or something like that. Whereas Diakos was almost, we'll let you go from 20 to 20 and then we'll toughen up and then, and then, we'll, and then we'll try to get the ball back. It's, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like a ball control defense. So that's a, that's a big difference yeah, as well. Yeah. Chander is trying to actually create more possessions for our offense. Whereas uh, mm-hmm. the Diaco defense was simply just trying to uh, hold off the offense uh, as long enough to maybe make a play at some point. Yeah, yeah I mean, just just some numbers here I grabbed from last year, just to echo Honky's point, just out of curiosity. Uh, the uh, average score, you know, points a lot for the defense. Uh, even with the big, you know, numbers at the end of the year, UCF was averaging twenty five point three points a game allowed. Nebraska was thirty six point four. So it's a market improvement right there. So, you know, even with huge explosions at the end. And they ranked uh, third in uh, fumbles gained. Or, no, excuse me, third in interceptions and 11th in fumbles gained. And I'm not sure we had a turnover last year for Nebraska. So I'm not sure <laughs> we, we did not have a inter- there, We did so. not have an interception from a cornerback. From, a de- from any defensive back. I or from any defensive back? I don't think anybody. 
Good grief. That, wow, yeah, so. That can't be right. I crazy. hope I wasn't right well, about that. Well, I'll tell statement. you what. If there's a player that could, I think, immediately get an interception next year, it might be this guy, Breon Dixon, who, since the last time we've done a Redcast, uh, some news, and it's not breaking news, but uh, he has gotten the waiver. And so he'll be playing immediately next year. And I think this leads to a discussion. I'm going to kind of segue out of that and go into the discussion of the of the it, defense huh? that we do have coming back, the players. We've talked a lot about who's starting. Mm-hmm. And there gets to be a point, Mac, you and I have had several discussions on this, where it's like, does it even really matter right, right. now? Because what we're starting to build is a lot of depth. Look at the front seven specifically. Okay. You have a guy like Andrew Ward who just – who just left because basically he's buried at sixth or so at, at inside linebacker. Now that you have Breon Dixon playing, you have guys like Breon Dixon, you have guys like Guy Thomas, you have guys like Alex Davis, mm-hmm. Gifford gets involved, then you bring in, you know, uh, Ferguson. Uh, for, well, Ferguson and then uh, Tanner, the, uh, oh, oh, the, the uh, Caleb Tanner. Yeah, Caleb Tanner. So, I mean, there's just a lot of different styles of players, and some of them are big guys, some of them are speed guys. And what do you, what do, you do with them? Look at the D line, you know, some of the different types of depth that we have. And instead of worrying, focusing so much on who's starting, I look at the, the the schedule that we start to have, and I think we can get into big packages. I think we can get into speed packages. And when you think about playing Wisconsin with 130 starts on their offensive line coming back and playing Iowa, and we just talked about that on the last show with Iowa Sean, their style of play. But then you have to counter that, and you have to play Ohio State and the speed that they're going to bring. Mm-hmm. We have different styles of players that I think could play different roles in different games. And, and – you may always start with the first same 11 guys. I don't know. But but the point is, there's going to be guys that are going to play roles differently in different games. Breon Dixon, to me, I just look at him. When we play Ohio State, I see a guy that could get like 20 tackles against right. an Ohio State. And I can see a Wisconsin where you're playing big double tight end sets, and you might be throwing Guy Thomas and, and, and Alex Davis on the field because you want girth at that, at that outside backer spot. I'm just – there's a lot of options. Yeah, it's almost like having a, like a nickel or a dime package, but you still get the benefit of using your linebackers that you already have in the system. You know, and they're all. It's not like your assignments necessarily change. So yeah, what you're saying, but your matchups are your matchups are more favorable. You know, but with the with the position and the different body styles that we have, we're allowed to match up a little bit more with our opponents. And with the amount of number of snaps that they're going to get on defense, you know, you're still not going to lack a ton of experience or depth if you need to rotate that in and out, or if the or if the offense decides to go big. So, it's not such a bad thing. I'm curious going forward. If there's going to be a very uh, standard look for our inside, li- or excuse me, for our outside linebackers in particular, or if they are going to kind of vary that out with maybe a, a Shaquem Griffin body type with a Guy Thomas body type, sure, or, you know what I mean. The field versus boundary, exactly. Kind of thing. I think that's that's really interesting, guys. What you're talking about here, it seems like, is that it's a, it's a matchup defense in the sense that you're not really changing a formation per se to match up, but you're changing personnel to match up with your opponent's strengths. Right? Uh, do we have uh, examples of of UCF doing that last year, or is this kind of just a little bit more hypothetical right now, just due to the depth that we have at some of our positions? I think it's more hypothetical right now with the depth that we have at these positions. It's not that we would never get into a nickel formation. So it, the example would be like Pelini. Pelini was kind of the king of coming out of like you almost started by default with nickel with him. Yeah. But then you played a team that was a little more spread, and now, boom, you're in dime defense. And then you'd go and you play a couple of those games where we were playing, I think, the Missouri. No, the dollar. If you remember oh, yeah. the dollar, we didn't have a single linebacker on the field. It was seven DBs. 
Which and one he, was the peso? I can't even remember anymore some of these ones. But No, peso was the standard base. Oh, was that, that the standard? The, the nickel. And yeah. Dijon Gomes, okay. Yeah. But but Pelini, yeah. was, it was all about, it was really matchup, and it was matchup with formation to the, to the offense that you're playing. We have potential here. I'm not saying that we would never get into a nickel defense or anything like that, but I'm saying that we could stay in a, a base defense essentially, but just because of the difference in players, it's very a, it's a very different look if Caleb Tanner and Breon Dixon are your outside backers compared to if it's Guy Thomas and Alex Davis. I mean, those are two guys that, that almost could be big enough to put a hand on the ground right. and be DNs maybe in a 4-3 style of defense, right? But they're playing outside backer. And it's a different style if you put both of them out there. Or you might do the thing where Guy Thomas and Alex Davis are playing the same side. The other side, that's where you want to have Tanner and Breon Dixon playing against, you know, competing with each other. So you kind of have a, a field side and a, mm-hmm. and a, you know, and a, a boundary side kind of kind of situation. The point is they have a lot of different body types. We haven't even talked about the D line and all this. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll throw one player out there that I've seen him. We went to the, went to the coaches clinic. We've, we've obviously watched, we watched him last year as a, as a redshirt freshman. We've seen him at the, the spring game. I really, I don't want to get too big into who's starting and who's not, mm-hmm. but Ben Stilley to me, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. And if you start to think about it, if you go, man, I could really see Ben Stilley start, okay? I mean, I really believe he has a good shot at it. It's not impossible to, to go opposite of him and go, man, I could really see Freedom start, right? He's been Absolutely. starting for a number yeah. of years. Freedom's your starter, right? And then and then naturally, you know, who's your nose tackle? Well, probably Stoltenberg. He's been out there. And if that was it, if that was, if I just said Stilley, Stoltenberg, and, and Freedom, who am I leaving out? Oh, the Davis Twins. Yeah, the Davis Twins. What, they're not going to start? I mean, the point is, I don't know. I can't even begin to tell you who the starters are going to be, but there is darn good depth. Yeah. I think DeAndre Thomas has a lot of potential. Oh, Getting into the, his real legitimate position of defensive end at a 280-pound body, that's where he needs to be at the DN spot. Daniels, too. And nice. then you've got Daniels yeah. at, at a true nose tackle who actually looks like one of those UCF nose tackles and, and D linemen that they had last year. I mean – We've got That's depth, right. and then you throw in Peyton Newell. And, oh, by the way, Deshaun Neal actually had a pretty good yeah, spring did. game and a he pretty did. good spring overall. And this is a guy, he's got two years left. I mean, he's not he's not going away. And so there's as far just – frame goes, too, there's not a better guy on the team for frame-wise. Like, you would actually recruit that kid to play the position he's Absol- playing. This, is not a, this isn't like, let's hope this body type works. A- absolutely. And then you've got the guys that you did recruit to play in this, this – uh, uh, Defense with Wildeman, Casey mm-hmm. Rogers, they're going to be you know reporting here in the next couple of days. I mean, unless they they absolutely blow you away, that they have the ability to redshirt, and I mean that's how much depth we have. But again, it's different. It's different body types, and I don't know that it matters who starts necessarily. I think what it matters is who matches up well, and and and, if, and you've got to be productive. You've got to, and we're going yeah. to play enough defensive snaps because of the style of play that we're going to play. Yeah. That you're going to get snaps probably whether you're the starter or not. It'll always come uh, back to good, that, Dave. But good. to answer your question about do we have examples of this from, from Frost doing it, maybe say at UCF or something along those lines, I, I, I don't know that necessarily we do. But this was more based on the conference that we're playing in now and the fact that they're going to be going against teams that are, are very run heavy at them, you know, as opposed to going against a Memphis or, yeah. or South Florida, who are going to sure. be that spread team and kind of do – I think they face that more than what they're going to face on a regular basis in the Big Ten. So that's that's kind of where I, I was I, thinking about the hypothesis about it. But 
but I don't have any proof. I, I think I think you're onto something. I, I think the the um the evidence of this coaching staff willing to to look at this more of a, a platoon basis and, and going with your the, the right matchup actually might be found on the other side of the ball, right? They're, they're very clear to that from a running back and wide receiver position that they're going to put players in in uh, places where they can succeed, and it's just a matter of who's the right guy at the right time, and they're going to get touches, and it's it's all by platoon. I mean, it, they adhere to that on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know why they wouldn't adhere to it on the defensive side of the ball, especially in a, a, a kind of meat grinder of a conference with the Big Ten is. So. Yeah, and we're I know we're going to get into this, Dave, in our upcoming shows where we start to break down conferences and certainly we'll be breaking down the Big Ten. The Big Ten's evolving. It's changing. And Minnesota, I kind of erroneously, I talked about Minnesota on the last show about how they're kind of a grinded out, you know, the ability to, mm-hmm. to, to power football. Yeah, And I kind of forgot this little, this little guy named P.J. Fleck is coaching out there. And what he might be doing, what he might be bringing to a school like Minnesota that's very traditional under center, you know, he might be bringing a little bit of a different style of football being played there. Obviously, we know what Urban Meyer... Jeff at Purdue. Yeah, what, what Brom's, doing, Brom's doing at Purdue, what Urban Meyer has successfully done at Ohio State. We're going to see, I think we have as many styles of offense to play against and prepare against in the Big Ten as any conference there is out there. If you're a coach out in the Pac-12... You know, short of Oregon, but you know, it seems like about every you know a lot of teams are kind of running the same kind of stuff out there. And and the SEC, I mean, it's that's almost the NFL of offense. It's like everyone kind of does the same thing, you know, anymore. And we really have, we have the ability to go up against double tight end sets, old school football every year against Iowa and Wisconsin, and we have the opportunity to go against very spread attacks like Ohio State, even Penn State yeah. now. I mean, Even you've got to be able to yeah. have a lot of different, and it's different not just, answers. And it's not like just we're, we're playing a running team. It's Wisconsin. They're really good at running the football. It's not like going against, yeah. you know, Army and their triple option attack that's just kind of gimmicky. I mean, Wisconsin's had a lot of success with their offense, and they beat the heck out of you doing it. So yep. you do have to be prepared to face that. And then you do have to immediately be prepared for a team as fast as Ohio State to come in and play, and you're going to have to match up with those guys. And Penn State's getting faster and faster. I mean, that, that team's not going away. You know, that's the thing, boys, that the Big Ten is is, is no joke anymore. And I'm certainly glad we got the coaching staff we did because we were we were drowning with Riley. The, there are – you're going to play multiple quarterbacks. You're going to play fast, mobile guys. And then I think uh, I was just hearing today the Clemson, you know, five-star blah, blah, yeah. blah guy from a year ago. Well, mm-hmm. he's looking at transferring because he's not – He's not going to be playing there. Well, a couple of the schools that came up were Northwestern and Purdue. And, you know, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of breaks right now. Right. You know, from team to team, we're going to be playing – we're going to be playing teams that are going to do a lot of different things well, and you just have to be able to adapt with your own personnel packages and everything against it. Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it still starts with our offense. We know our defense – Shenander's talked about this – that defense is built around our offense. It's it's with this philosophy of getting that offense the ball back, and we all know from a philosophy standpoint that the philosophy of the offense is that we're going to make the defense adjust to us, mm-hmm. in the in the uh, in the Big Twelve, Big Ten to adjust to us, not the other way around. And and uh, defensively, it's going to be about getting that ball back to them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They all made right, no guys. bones Good about stuff. their Good identity. Stuff. That that's a going forward. That's what we are. You know, just got to get good at it. 
you know, we're a little behind yeah, Wisconsin absolutely. in terms of being good at our own identity, but maybe not as far as behind as they would like to think. All right, guys. Anything else on the uh, the football front that we need to cover uh, during this redcast? Let's uh, let's touch on two things really quick, really quick. Honky, let's let's uh, randomly talk about Nebraska ball just for the heck of it. Nebraska ball. Uh, maybe you want to bring up something on scheduling, but I think between now and the next redcast, we will have an answer on James Palmer and Isaac Copeland. Uh, whether they are declaring for the NBA draft or not. So that's something to watch out for, right? Yep, yep. We'll at least know the answer by the next time we – probably a couple of weeks from now we'll do the next Redcast and we'll, we'll, we'll know more than uh, on that part. And that's obviously a – you know, that's a key component to what's going to go on next season. Another key component yeah. is – Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. No, I was just going to mention, I think we actually talked about this a few episodes ago that – we should, because of the expectations of next year, we should get better scheduling in some of these conference matchups. And this is exactly what happened with the uh, Big East Challenge, right? Yeah, and and Dave, you're you are the basketball expert out of this group here. So tell me here, I guess we we've got Seton Hall now that we're going to be playing next year compared to last year. What it was a uh, St. John's. What does that mean in terms of the the scheduling component of it? Like, did that are we elevated in who in terms of who we're playing? Is Seton Hall? What does that? What does it mean that we're playing Seton Hall? I guess. Yeah, so I, I don't know uh, the Seton Hall roster in depth or anything like that, but I do know they went to the NCAA tournament last year. I think they won a game. They were somewhere around an eight seed or so, and. Compared to St. John's, now St. John's last year did upset a couple of teams, Villanova and Duke in particular, but they are at the bottom of the Big East and were projected to be at the bottom of the Big East. And so uh, the fact that we've been matched up versus Seton Hall indicates that they see Nebraska as a higher level uh, matchup and a little bit more key uh, compared to what we had last year. So I I think it's exactly what we said was going to happen. We're going to get better matchups in these uh, conference, um, uh, you know, showdown type events uh, early in the season. Of course, they need to just take advantage of them now. Would be nice. You got to win the game. Yep. It's out there now, right? You have, hypothetically speaking, you should have a have a quad one or quad two win there. There you go, Honk. I threw it in. There we go. Uh, yeah, I will say Seton Hall does have a lot of guys leaving. A lot of their big names are are out next year, but they should rebuild pretty well. I think they had a decent uh, bench. So, yeah, I think it'll still be a good team. So, but yeah, Yeah, just take advantage. It's a at the very Uh, least, it's a step up. It's a step up in in scheduling, and that's and that's a step up because we did win the twenty two games. So, whether they were the quality wins and all that, it's a moot point. It's the fact that it's a step up in scheduling from where we were at a year ago. So, correct. That's good. I I would take it as that. Around the Van Horn to wrap it up. Uh, Nebraska baseball is finished. They finished uh, with a win at Illinois. They went two and four their last two weeks, both uh, losing to Indiana and Illinois. But uh, they gave us a, a, a glimpse of hope there by winning a few series and then winning the first game versus Indiana. There's a chance they'd get into the Big Ten tournament, um, but they failed. Finishing off 24 and 28, the Big Ten tournament in Omaha this weekend, starting on Wednesday, I believe, without Nebraska there. Um, I guess the big topic, really, Erstad's, A, definitely coming back. Moose has already said that. 
and B. Ursaid's also said that his coaching staff is coming back intact, which includes Ted Silva, who's probably been the lightning rod of that staff because of, of the pitching woes and the arm injuries. Um, you know, Honky, you mentioned uh, that, you know, maybe that a lot of a lot of, a lot of folks don't really believe in Ted Silva any longer, but apparently Darren Erstad does. Uh, you think it's the right move? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll find out, I guess, in a year. I, I, there's, I respect the loyalty of it. I, I respect the coach sitting. Sure. Erstad came flat out and said, if anybody should be fired, it's me. So, I mean, he came – now, that's also easy to say when the AD's already given you that support. But And, look, no one's – I'm not calling for Erstad or any anything to be changed with that. I mean, we're talking about not only a coach that a year ago obviously won the Big Ten in the season, but also this is a coach that – what was it, the Dodgers or whatever we're going after? I mean, this is a guy that – if he wants to be coaching at, at a higher level than, than Nebraska, I'm pretty sure that, that Erstad could be doing so. And, and I think that – we have to be careful as fans before we just flat out call everything out. There needs to be some changes clearly with the injuries. And I don't begin to even try to pretend like I know how to fix all the pitching injuries that they've had, but they've said that they do need to look into that. And that is an absolute change. Cause this is not a one year instance here. We've had some of these, these injuries going on in the past. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. I also, this is my, my default, I did it with football, and, and I've done it with basketball. My default is we've got to get the best kids in this state to come and play for our state school. And we've mentioned through A&M, there's a kid from Norris going down to Kentucky. There are a number of, of, of instances here in baseball where we've had some guys going elsewhere. And that just, that just can't happen. I mean, we can't accept that anymore in baseball than we would in any other sport. Volleyball is, is the best you know, sport in the country, you know, we're, we have the best volleyball program in the country, and and uh, there's a good chunk of those girls that are that are homegrown. And so we should expect that in every every sport that we have. And, and baseball, we've got some good talent here locally. Um, and so those are the kind of things. It's I, I'm not about firing people. It, it's always it, That's always the easy thing to do. In 1968 in football, just as a reference, you know, they had a petition going around Omaha after we went six and four for the second straight year, the petition was to fire every single, every single football coach. And John Melton famously said, "I signed the petition." He, you know, former Husker coach goes, "I signed it. We were terrible." <laughs> but, but the point is that the the, the answer is always isn't isn't always to fire people. No. And if we fired everyone in 1968, including Tom Osborne, including Bob Devaney, we'd have looked really foolish probably in 1970 and 71 instead of winning national titles. We probably wouldn't have been doing so. So, there is. There is plenty of precedence, and there's good things that Ursa has done. But, uh, but they've got to get some of, the, I think, the injury stuff and I think some of the, the local recruiting. I think those are two things that I would focus on. I totally agree with you about sure. the local recruiting. So, I'm also not a fan of not just firing, but I'm not a fan of telling a, a coach who he needs to get rid of yeah. and who he needs to hire. That's ridiculous. Correct. If you're at that point with a coach, then you need, you know, you need a different staff altogether. If you're going to let him be your head man, let him be the head Absolutely. man and pick his own staff. You know, people act like yeah. Ted Silva, well respected, came here from California. Yeah, and, I mean, um, you know, they know I mean, the inner workings. You know, of- injuries happen. Baseball's a streaky sport, man. It's so weird. If your pitching's off, then it's hard. It hardly matters what else you can do. You know, like the bats go cold. I, it's just, it's just a very. It's not like volleyball where you can kind of take a time out and talk to these girls and get momentum back. Middle, 
baseball's tough. Sure, I, sure. Boom. It's not like we haven't had recent ahead, success huh? either. Like, well, I, I, I want to get Boomer's thoughts on this because I mean he's been following I think the team as close as anyone. I, Dave, obviously you as well, but Boomer, where, I mean, where are your thoughts just, you know, on on the situation going into next year? Yeah, this has kind of been a, a tough season. I mean. <laughs> My my macro perspective is Nebraska. You know, I don't expect us to win the College World Series on a ever particularly, but or you know even necessarily make it every particular year. But given the resources we put in the program, the fan support, the facilities we have, we should never not make the Big Ten tournament. I mean, that's like uh, kind of my base threshold. If you can't finish in the top eight of this conference, that's a bad season, and that's pretty depressing. And, and gosh darn, I can't remember who wrote the article. I just read it a little bit before we started doing the show, just kind of talking about where Nebraska baseball is over the lifetime of the Big Ten. Or Sam McEwen. Yeah, McEwen, that was it, yeah. And it was actually kind of an interesting article. We've actually really gone nowhere since we joined the Big Ten and kind of even slipped behind a bit. I mean, we're behind Iowa in winning percentage percentage in in the Big Ten. Correct. And that's just insane to think about, that we've actually slipped behind Iowa. We were a legitimate team in the Big 12, and that was a tougher conference by any stretch of the imagination from what the Big 10 is. And we were, you know, a legitimate team there. We played well. We made, you know, tournaments there. And the Big 10, we just don't really seem to be taking huge steps forward. Now, granted, a lot of that is, I think, a lot of Big 10 schools are putting more effort into baseball. I mean, Ohio State's one. You know, Minnesota's rebounded well from where they used to be. Indiana's maintained even with some coaching changes and stuff. So, you know, the, probably, the Big Ten's probably more challenging than I think most Nebraska fans gave it credit for when we first joined the conference. I mean, that's without saying. Do we need to make any massive changes this year? I, I don't know. Again, we've got to find ways to keep those players here. I, we, I know I'd mentioned a few shows ago how many players we'd lost to A&M, for, for example. Yes. We had a lot of in-state guys playing down there, and that's just killer. You can't lose that. And yeah. next year is just such a key year, I think, you know – is Erstad on the hot seat now? No, but there's certainly somebody, a kid down there playing with matches, I think, belong. So, I, I don't think know. he's too far from being on no. the hot seat, to be honest with you. Um, I, I agree with Boomer on this one in, in the sense that I really like Erstad, um, it, you know, and it's a great story, but uh, the numbers don't really... You could say, wow, he won the Big Ten last year. He did. Uh, that's true. Uh, he also... You know, exited the Big Ten tournament very quickly mm-hmm. and exited the NCAA tournament very quickly again. And he has not done anything in that NCAA tournament. And ultimately, that's what we want to see. And considering that we have 4,000 people, we still finished in the top 12 in, in attendance this year, and we were horrible, for yeah. God's sakes. Um, that we just invest way too much in this program to, to not even make the Big Ten tournament. And that is just... It's unacceptable. And uh, I, I think, Hockey, you mentioned this. I think Bill Moose, he, he fired the, let's see, the tennis coach and the golf coach, I believe, last week. Is that right? That's, um, yeah. I think Miles and Miles and Erstad are on notice. I, I think next year, Miles needs to win. I think Erstad needs to win. And I don't well, know if he's got the team to do it. And, and, and Dave, to your point, what you just said about being a top 12 uh, attendance you know, school for, for baseball mm-hmm. and yeah. miles. We've talked about this with miles. I mean, we're a top 20 basketball attendance school. We're top we're the number one volleyball attendance school football wise. We are 
top 10, top 15, you know, with the, with the, the 90,000. My goodness, Husker Nation, we said it the last Redcast, and we'll, we'll keep saying it. I mean, we this is the hungriest fan base in the, in the country, and it, it goes across the board across all these different sports. They keep showing up, and despite sometimes not always having those those uh, the results that you want to have. I I do yeah. I don't care I don't call it a double standard but I absolutely give more leash to a, a guy like Herstad than I would just someone else. I mean when it's a former player and it's somebody that's had the amount of success whether it was at Nebraska or is in the pros being the number 1 pick and all those things I do give more leash there but at the same time when you have problems they just have to get fixed. It's just simple as that. And if you have to make changes, I, I'm not a baseball guy the way I am football. Mm-hmm. So I can look at football from an X's and O's standpoint. I look to you, Dave, and you, Boomer, for, for X's and O's of, of baseball. But I can say this. The great coaches are the ones that can make those changes, right? They, it, it's the Osborne in, in, in 1992, Osborne saying we're not going to be 5-2 anymore. We're getting beat too much against uh, Miami and Florida State's in the bowl games. So we're going to switch to 4-3. Whatever that switch is, whatever the, the changes, if it's if it's if it's off season workouts, we, we've talked so much about Zach Duvall on the football side and how he's going to prevent injuries and how he's going to change things. Is there something on the baseball side that can do that with the with the uh, with the, the arms? I don't I don't know. I, I'm I'm not knowledgeable enough, and I don't pretend to be when it comes to that. I just know that we can't continue to have these injuries. We can't have four starting pitchers or four top pitchers getting hurt, you know, right before the season starts. So those yep. are the things for for Erstad to to figure out, and he can do that with the the current coaches he has, or he can or he can change every coach. That's totally his choice. I, I'm going to believe in that guy that, mm-hmm. that he's going to get it fixed. But that's it. I mean, that's the challenge for him, right? Yeah, I would. I totally agree with you guys. Minimum should be Big Ten tournament. That is nothing. I mean, that should be absolute basement as far as like expectations. Not getting the Big Ten tournament is that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous and, to me. And and expectations of a program change the second that you've changed the expectations. We talked about Devaney as an example. He came into a program that lost for twenty straight years. He gives them four or five good seasons of, of ten and so wins, playing in Orange Bowls, and all of a sudden you go six and four a couple times. Schedule you know, you know, uh, those are records that would have been very good in the forties and fifties leading up to it. But a couple of six and four seasons after he gave them something more, people are calling for him to be fired. In baseball, we were ready to get rid of the program back in the mid-90s until this Van Horn guy showed us that you can do something more than that. And it immediately changed the expectations. And right now, whether we think, you know, Boomer, you mentioned, you know, can we ever win a College World Series or not, I don't know. But Van Horn showed us that three out of four years you can get there. And so that expectation's kind of been set all of a sudden. In fact, there were buildings built around that expectation. So... It is that's – where, that's where we're at right now as a program is that I think the expectation is that we should be striving to get back yeah. to Omaha, not just for the conference championship, but for, for, for higher than that. Correct. And right now we're yep. just we – haven't, we haven't gotten close to that. Nope. And that's – I mean, that's – it just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I just – kind of like you are saying, I just say I think next year is when Moose actually probably earns his salary – I mean, he's going to have some decisions to make, depending on what coaches do. So we'll see what it amounts to. No offense to the tennis and lacrosse coach or whoever just got <laughs> whacked to encourage the others, you know, to kind of quote Voltaire there. But, 
Yeah, so I it's mean, gonna come down. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll I'll just finish this on on saying that. I mean, I, I agree. Erstad has a has a longer leash because of his uh, history with the program, but we also could have a longer leash with someone like Will Bolt, who's sitting down there at A and M and doing mm-hmm. well for himself. Or if if we're, we're serious about playing big time uh, baseball, there's other uh, you know high profile candidates that that might actually entertain being a Nebraska coach um, by actually paying a a salary uh, commensurate with uh, expectation. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, we are we are running long here, so let's wrap this thing up with some parting shots. Uh, let's start with uh, Honky. Uh, again, I want to. I started by thanking Iowa Sean on the last show, and I want to thank him again. I also want to apologize for him because apparently uh, some of his uh, things that he said on the last show yeah. annoyed his fellow Hawkeye Nation so much that he's been blackballed by a couple of Iowa, you know. Uh, Apparently their their skin isn't as thick as they'd like to think I guess not, yeah. Some of the some of their boards uh, kind of <laughs> got mad at him for it. Whatever, who cares? It's <laughs> Some of the stuff I saw was rough, man. I was man, like, dang. Yeah, I can't believe they kiss their mothers with that mouth in Iowa. Yeah, and, and let's, <laughs> yeah let's, they do kiss their mothers, I suppose. But and let's right. be very... It's their sisters, Mike. Oh! <laughs> well, you're right. And, let, and let's be very Fair. clear, too. I mean, if anyone anyone that doesn't know Iowa Sean, this is the nicest guy. Like, I I, I wanted to dislike him because he was an Iowa guy, but and I went out to Denver and was hanging out with Dave, and he introduced me to his neighbor. I'm like, this is the nicest dude in the world. And we had an intelligent, smart back and forth. He loves Iowa as much as we love Nebraska. He's just, you know, he's he's just not a, a jerk about it, right? I mean, he tries to be up front where, where he can. So, anyways, we love you, Iowa, Sean. We'd love to have you back on the show. Um, and speaking of Iowa, Iowa's uh, looks like is going to be our Black Friday uh, future opponent again. Bill Moose has made that statement a couple times here. He's on the radio tonight talking about it. It uh, looks like Minnesota is going to be our Black Friday uh, opponent for two years uh, in the middle of having Iowa there. So uh, Bill Moose, Athletic Director Moose, he has definitely listened to the pulse of, of Husker Nation. They want Black Friday to keep going, and he's doing it. So well done again. I think he's 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 pulling all the right strings right now. He's making the right moves and not making the right or not making the wrong moves right. too early. Uh, I, I completely am in support of the leadership we have right now. Well, really, I didn't know that hockey. Good, good to know. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's go with uh, Mac next. Oh, um, I just wanted to remind the Redcasters to clear their calendar in early September. Uh, the uh, the 25th anniversary of the 93 state championship team in Columbus is going to be honored. I can't remember exactly the date, but it'll probably be a week of festivities and be my imagine, you know, a parade or some That's type. The Skoda State Championship. Skoda is State that right, Football Mac? Champions. So yeah, the glory years. Right? I'm like right a, I'm like a John Cougar Mellencamp. Glory Bruce, days. Bruce yeah, Springsteen song all pass you by glory days. <laughs> well, let's talk to the student manager of that 93 championship team, uh, Boomer. Well, I'd just like to remind the Redcasters with uh, the free-for-all and gambling being the gambling floodgates having been opened that uh, Nebraska is opened as an 18.5-point favorite versus Akron. So if you want to get in on the early action, now's your chance. You guys think that's Excellent. That's a good point. I like that line. <laughs> that's a good line. Uh, I'm going to say it's kind of low. I think we're good. I think we can cover that. So Mike says take All right. the over. I like it. That's a... Uh, that's a Bowden-led team there with the Zips, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot of uh, good uh, Nebraska versus Bowden uh, yeah. storylines there. Uh, 
Yeah, we'll break that down in a future episode, I'm guessing. Oh, you episode. know it. Yep. You know it. We maybe have a uh, Terry Bowden on for all we know. Uh, all right, boys. Let's uh, call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Redcast.